Hey friends, Catlaw Hedquist here with a reminder that locally owned and artist operated bizbooks.net is still your best source for plays, acting books, scene books, teacher resources, and much, much more. And as you, like we, are clearly fans of Sabrina and YVR Screen Scene, we want to offer you 15% off your next purchase with the coupon code SCREENSCENE23. So come check us out at bizbooks.net, sign up for our newsletter, and follow us on social to learn what's new. And if you're in the Vancouver area, Watch out for one of our pop-up shops throughout the year to come say hello and shop in person. Remember, Screen Scene 23 promo code is only available at bizbooks.net for a limited time. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain on the Vancouver film and television industry and expose its beating heart, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Rani Firminger. Today, I am honored, I am honored, Gary, I'm honored, to be joined in the YVR Screen Scene Podcast Lab by director Gary Haas. One thing you should know about Gary Haas is that he's directed multiple episodes of ABC's hit drama, The Good Doctor, aka the most watched television drama series on the planet. He's also the director of some of my favorite indie projects of all time, including the comedy Leap for Your Life, a mockumentary about a community dance competition starring some of our industry's finest, including Taylor Hill, April Tellick, Nicole Oliver, Anne-Marie DeLuise, Jill Morrison, John Cassini, Julia Benson, and Peter Benson. We got both Bensons in that. And... The Charlie DeClown Show, a trippy short about the -the behind-the-scenes shenanigans of a talk show hosted by a fucked-up clown named Charlie. Furthermore, he's directed short films featuring big, bold actors like Alan Cumming and Johan Griffith. I admit I had to go and watch a couple of YouTube videos to figure out how to pronounce Johan's name. He's directed second units on some big, bold films like Sucker Punch, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Interstellar and Elysium, and he's worked as a first AD on big, bold, beloved projects like Once Upon a Time and Cedar Cove. And there's a lot more. I will include a link to Gary's IMDb in the footnotes. And yes, Gary, I know IMDb is not always a reliable source, but it's what we got here. Another thing you should know about Gary Haas is that people really like working with him. His reputation among actors in particular, stellar. That's saying something, because they always let me know how they feel. And honestly, that's really all I know about Gary Haas, that he's an experienced, versatile, and prolific director who can work with big budgets and making stuff happen with two dimes and a, a couple of cans and some string, and also that people really like him. So today, join me as I get to know him even better. Gary Haas, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you for having me. Wow, that was the quite the intro. So, yeah, yeah. But 
Any lies detected? I, no, but I learned some stuff, so that that was great. What did you uh, learn? Oh, that people act- like you. Well, like, yeah. yes, and and actors, you never know. You never know. Yeah. I love them, but yeah. They're... I mean, I have found with actors, I don't hear about directors that that people don't like that are eh about. Like if it's just like a mediocre director or whatever, I will hear though if they hate a director mm. or if they really really love a director. And well, there's good. a lot of loves, little hearts around your name. Ah, uh, well, that that's awesome. I I mean, that's kind of why I do this. I yeah. love working with actors and always have. And so to hear that, uh, that it's a reciprocal situation, that's awesome. Music I'm, to my ears. I'm glad I could do that for you. Okay, so now we've got you all nice and settled. Now let's go in for the kill. Okay. No, I'm kidding. How do you describe yourself, though? Especially somebody who has worn a lot of different hats, worked a lot of different roles on a lot of different projects. Yeah, I guess uh, versatile. Um, I've just always, I grew up loving film and television. So um, I kind of just studied all facets of it. And um, the good thing is, is when you chase your passion, um, it, it really never dies. And I, I feel like actually I was golfing with my nephew yesterday and giving him career advice. And I said, well, if you're passionate about something, you know, go for it and y- you'll be good at it. And eventually money will come along. May not be millions, uh, but if you're really passionate about something, you can you can turn it into a career. Now, when you were talking to your nephew, did you say stuff like back in my day? Yeah, yes. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, that that was the biggest thing as we I realizing that uh, I'm now uh, approaching or have hit middle age. And uh, it is quite funny coming up in the industry because that's, that's the thing. We're quite a community. It, it, it's a large community now in Vancouver, uh, but it, it, it is uh, it is a film family. And uh, usually the Teamsters or the uh, key makeup artists, when back when you were a PA or a trainee, they would be like, "Oh, you're going places. You know, you're gonna you're gonna become something." They don't say that anymore, um, and not that I've arrived, but uh, eventually you stop being the kid on set. Yeah, yeah, solidarity with that, Gary. I feel that in myself. Yeah. You know what? Let's let's do what we love to do here on the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, and let's go back in time. Okay. Now, you can choose your time travel vehicle of choice, something from pop culture, uh, and something you've invented. Sarah Canning decided she wanted to go on a little rowboat, so that's what we got into. So what would you like to get into for our time travel? Um, a DeLorean. Of course. Why not, right? Yeah. Go with the original. Yeah. That's, that, that's my era. So. Yeah, I guess it's my era too. But I grew up super into uh, Doctor Who as well. So. Oh, there you go. Getting I guess I always thought it was going to be a battle between like, you know, the phone booth and the DeLorean. But DeLorean wins hands down. I'm in there. Okay, yeah. fine. We're in there with Doc and and um, we're, uh, you're, we're putting in the coordinates. You're going to have to decide. I want to go back to, I want to get to know who you were as a kid. You know, like, so t- take us back to like maybe some like key era from your childhood where we get to see Gary Haas in his most like distilled childhood form. Well, I knew I wasn't a normal kid when I would like my favorite show was Entertainment Tonight. Um, And then I would watch like I loved Family Ties and stuff. So anything entertainment wise. And then I loved the sitcoms like Family Ties, like Michael J. Fox was, I just thought he was brilliant. It was such a great era. So we must be around the same age. Like that's such a great, like the 80s, such a great era for sitcoms, for comedy. 
Um, I mean, I was babysat mostly by television. Television raised me, you yeah. know, between like sitcoms and Saturday morning cartoons, like incredible. So uh, tell me about your family though. Like, what, did you grow up in a, in a family I, in the industry? Or yeah, like, no, no, not at all. And where are um, we? I'm, I'm sorry, like Doc is wondering why you didn't put in better coordinates okay. in the DeLorean. I am so sorry. I'm back in <laughs> North Delta, a far trek from here. Okay. So I'm a local boy, born and raised, very few uh, of us. Most, most people moved to Vancouver. Um, yeah. I uh, grew up in the outskirts. Um, yeah, and I just became fascinated with film. My parents aren't in it. My dad was a chartered accountant by trade, but then went into um, building and the development business. Wow. Um, so he uh, he had a hard time understanding my fascination and thought it My might... dad's a CA yeah. as well, so he, I <laughs> Right? How do he you just, explain that? He, he kind of he, he thought this might be a bit of a pipe dream. You can't, and... put, you can't put a career in the arts into a spreadsheet. And no, no, exactly. <laughs> and so he loves was... spreadsheets. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, so that was an adjustment, but yeah. eventually he did come around and, yeah. uh, um, but uh, yeah, no, I just uh, grew up uh, loving film and TV. I remember like I would play a laugh track in my head, like at family dinners. I remember doing like a full opening, stuff like that. And my parents must've thought, I mean, I know my brother and sister thought I was bizarre, um, but I was always throwing punchlines out. And so I kind of like, I remember thinking, is this normal to think you're in your own sitcom? And so at a very young age, I wanted to be an actor and I loved all that. Um, and then in, I think grade five, I was, uh, allowed to create because I was also fascinated with Gretzky and hockey, obviously mm -hmm. being Canadian, uh, and he was quintessential '80s star. So they, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. my teacher let me uh, create a, the Christmas play called uh, Gretzky Saves Christmas, and I uh, wrote, directed, and starred in it in grade five. So I think that was my first kind of <laughs> moment where. I, so, I'm sorry, Gary. We need a moment to sit with this. I, I need to hear about. How, how Gretzky saved Christmas? How was Christmas in trouble? In, and, and what did Wayne Gretzky do to save Christmas? And did you have a mullet? I need to know all these things. I think just naturally in the 80s, you had a mullet. So uh, I don't have one now. I don't think I could grow one. But uh, to be honest, I think it was a, a fairly thin plot, if uh -huh. I remember correctly. Uh, I do know I wore my rollerblades at the time and uh, and came out and saved some kids from uh, and saved their Christmas morning. I I wish I could give you more plot points than that, but I think that ultimately that is was enough. It. That is so yeah, satisfying sorry. to me. Um, I just so does a VHS copy of Gretzky Save Christmas exist anywhere? There, I think there's a picture. I think, but no VHS copy, oh, but I think there is a picture of me on stage, absolutely. Amazing, and yeah. do we know if Gretzky ever found out about how he saved Christmas in, in this play? No, but I did run into him and had an awkward moment, but that's a longer story. Um, <laughs> I, I did run into him on a vacation. I, it was, I'm not starstruck at all working in this industry, Yeah. but seeing Gretzky, I had to go up and say- You saved was, Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a little weirder, Sabrina. It's um, because my dad had a, a painting of Gretzky that was in our pool table. And then later in life, it got moved to my childhood bedroom mm -hmm. and- I didn't phrase it properly and I just said what an impact he had on my life and that I had a painting of him in my bedroom, <laughs> which again, Janet was there too and there was an exchange quick look and I realized just how mm -hmm. odd it sounded and 
had to kind of just retreat from that conversation. Like Homer Simpson moving into the bushes. That was literally it. I was like, I can't recover from this. Oh, that is, yeah. that is a perfect, perfect story. Um, now, you said grade five, and I we will, we, sorry, Doc, we'll I get know, back we're, in the DeLorean we're, we're in a still, minute we're there. We're still in grade five. But we're yeah. still in grade five, but as we mentioned before I hit record, your kids are graduating grade five. They are. Today. Today. Do you see any, you know, sparks, you know, in them that indicate that, you know, film and TV is a career that they would like to pursue? Who's saving Christmas in their in their plays and screenplays it's a good question and it's crazy because it's like i had zero connections going into the film industry so you started the ground up as a pa and just meet and show up to celluloid social club and do whatever you can to meet people um now my kids have access to everything they hate coming to set um they're afraid to talk to the actors i've offered them roles i've put them on as like the easiest extra work ever and uh, honestly, they just have zero interest in it, which maybe hey, maybe that's a good thing. But because it's there and present, mm. it doesn't seem special. Whereas when I was a kid, I would have just like killed for the opportunity to end up on a film set. Yeah. You know what I see in their future? Mm. Accountants. Yes. That's yeah. what's going to happen. They are good at math. So, so at what point then um, did you verbalize speak the words or in your head to your your in brain studio audience i want to work in film i think uh, once i hit high school um again we didn't have film studies or the ability like we didn't even have uh, really good cameras to shoot anything on but um i ended up getting um a, a small like home video camera and I was starting to convince my teachers for social studies and history and stuff like that, um, English literature, that I would, I would do a project, but I would make a short film. Mm-hmm. And so, but there was no way of editing. You actually had to use two VCRs and tape to tape yeah. was how you would edit your, your short films together. But I did about three or four of those. And uh, I think I just had the bug and uh, continued. And I think... I finally graduated from high school. I went to UVic and because I was, my dad was like lawyer, drama teacher, something, but don't go, you're not gonna become Spielberg. And so- Oh, he, I mean, he even said drama teacher. He, he did, he, because I had such a great connection with my two drama teachers. Right. Um, who I stayed in touch uh, with forever. Um, they, one let me actually come back and direct, my first year of college, direct uh, two one act plays that I had written um, instead of them doing the school uh, play that year. So again, they were just feeding that and they were big supporters So know the too. Crucible, you wrote your own. Yes, and I how, did. And how was Gretzky in that one? What did Gretzky he do? Gretzky did not <laughs> quite make it to, at that point I'd moved past my fascination of Gretzky. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tarantino probably was starting to have an impact and influence on 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 my writing and, and directing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And so was, was that, what you want, like, what was it to be a director or was it to, was it to act? Was it to write, you know, as you were, I guess like I, maybe it's because that's how I have been through my life. Yeah. I just assume that at different points, people make a statement where they're like, I want this, I want this. And then they pursue it, even though the work I'm doing now is like, there's no podcasting, you know, in 1998 when I right? went to university, yeah. right? You know, but I, so I couldn't conceive of it, but I definitely knew I wanted to tell stories and work in the arts, you know? So was there a moment where you... 
I, I think it was in high school. Um, I, I, I acted in all the school plays and uh, um, oddly, we were a large school, 1500. So yeah. our grad class would have been like 750. And well, I, I got voted grad actor of the year, which just shows that we didn't have a lot of talent that year because oh, you can talk to any like Peter Benson who knew, who knew me from a, uh, early on in my career. I am not a good actor. Uh, and so I think I realized that my limitations by grade 12, I'm like, I think behind the camera or behind the scenes is going to be more for me. Mm. I think I knew my limitations as an actor. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But you do have grad actor of the Grad year. actor. That was, a, a that was the deal. peak. That was a pinnacle. Yeah. Your first time on a working set as a professional. What was it? What do you remember about it? How did you feel? What mistakes did you, did you make? Well, it, it it it's a pretty awesome story, but it's also underwhelming. Um, I was in. Uh, I went it to is bang. hard to beat the Gretzky saves right? Christmas. This like one's you lead good. With, you lead with that, and then everything is like, yeah, but does Gretzky save Christmas? Uh, he did. Um, he did Uh, this one I was uh, just finishing Vancouver Film School and so they were you were just trying to get out and become a PA and I ended up on a Rodney Dangerfield movie called My Five Wives so if that is awesome I can actually hear him saying that yeah I'm not gonna try to do an impression wow yeah so that I mean that was sort of like super cool and brilliant because it was like Rodney Dangerfield near the end and uh, we were shooting at the little Burnaby Village Museum. Oh yeah. Yeah. And um, I just remember him being driven to and from in a golf cart. He had oxygen. He looked like he was about to die in that and yet when they called action, boom, the Rodney Dangerfield, you remember he would just light up eyes bulging, you know, yeah. the full the the full stand-up comedian and uh so i i just remembered that just seeing that like that star for the first time right but the the sense of like beyond seeing rodney and his five wives on that set how did the experience of being on a set for the first time you know meet or exceed the expectations because i would imagine that you know from when you're a little kid and you're you know making your videos you know vcr to vcr or whatever yeah. like that you know like that your the dream is to be on a set to be part of it and yeah. then there you are you're part of it like like how did that meet or exceed you know what you thought it was going to feel like I mean, it was just super cool. I was, I remember it was a, I think a hot summer day and, uh, I realized quickly within eight hours, I wore the wrong shoes. Um, you know, cause you're just standing all day as a PA. A lot of times you're put on the outskirts, but, um, I did get moved around a few times. So I was always able to sort of watch what was going on yeah. from a kind of a, a, a distance. And I just was loving watching the director working with the actors. Uh, the DP and the camera operators, the dolly grip lane track. Like it was just all like stuff I was learning in film school. But then it was like, there it is. It's happening. Yeah. It's all happening. Yeah. Um, so on your IMDb, there are a lot of, of different job titles that you have had. Um, you know, I've seen 30 AD, uh, second AD, first AD, second unit. Mm-hmm. Um, director, can you explain for my listeners the difference between all of these different uh, different uh, roles 
and um, you know the kind of the challenges of you know moving between them. Yeah, I mean, it's so when I got into the industry, you start at the bottom as a production assistant, and and you're kind of just doing whatever menial task, crowd lockup, cleanup. Um, just wherever running errands. Um, I often see PAs like on sidewalks. Yeah. Can't walk here right now. Yeah. Wearing a vest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, so I started that way and I quickly saw, okay. And I remember in film school is like, okay, I understand camera. I understand lighting. I wasn't very good at camera. I had an understanding, but I changing a film mag took me forever. You know, there were other people in the class that were just technically better at things. Yeah. And I realized very quickly my my you know number one asset was actually communication just mm. talking uh and coordinating uh and so it naturally gravitated towards assistant directing now for a lot of people that aren't in film if they came across and got stopped by a pa and then they were watching and they saw someone being kind of a little louder and calling out orders and stuff they typically think that's the director and often the case it's the first assistant director mm -hmm. who is the uh the right hand man or woman of the director yeah um they kind of take care of all the logistics and are kind of like a construction foreman um on the on on the site just making sure everything stays on track and everyone knows what's going on yeah. and keeping everyone motivated uh they come up uh, they create the schedule the shooting order of of how you do stuff what you're going to shoot in a day and then they kind of expedite that through the day and then of course it's a big enough show you have your second ad that works for the first ad and they do the call sheet and make sure the actors know their call times the next day that all the uh, equipment's going to be there so all the logistics of the next day job. Oh and then gosh. the third ad is usually at base camp or sometimes we call it the circus um, and they're getting the actors ready through hair, makeup, yeah. costumes, and they do something called the daily production report. Um, and then the trainee is just kind of learning all of these duties, uh, usually on the set, um, taking care of the radios and distribution, making sure the actors have water, you know, where their uh, chairs are, where the washroom is, and helping with background when, they, uh, when they're when they allowed to. So, um, and then depending on the size of the show, there can be eight or nine 80s, or if it's a really small show, you know, there's only two or three. But once I got on a film set and kind of saw uh, what was going on, I thought, well, you know, this being on sets like another free film school, and I'm like, the person who is closest to the director all the time seems to be this first assistant director. Yeah. Um, so I just decided, you know, I'm just going to start climbing a ladder and keep making short films. Uh, and I never planned on being a first AD. It just kind of happened as I was directing, you know, short films and indie features and stuff like that. I just kind of kept going and job offers kept coming. And then I think in about 2013, 2014, I said, man, I should really switch from film to television because that's your best opportunity as an assistant director to start directing. Mm. Uh, and so that was sort of a calculated decision in about 2014 to make that, that transition. Did it require... Um a big shift in perspective in in how you do the work that you do you know moving from film to t to tv or are they are they different beasts at all they're 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 similar they're just different in scale yeah uh you typically have a larger budget and more time in in features 
uh, TV, uh, once it gets going, like a 20 episode season, um, you, you know, every seven, eight days, you're on to a next episode. So it, 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 it's everything's just quicker, more efficient, expedited. Yeah. I love too knowing that an attention to the attention to detail of an accountant's son is required for a lot of the work that you're doing, you know, to keep all of those balls in the air and juggling stuff. I guess so. Apple doesn't fall too far from yeah. the tree, I guess. Still far, still far. Yes. Um, I, I'd like to talk because you know you pointed out the uh, the X Men and my cabinets and stuff. I I mean I would be remiss if I didn't ask you for some of like your personal highlights from some of those you know the films that you that you worked on you know with the big bold names you know and I either that were the most fun for you watching it all come together or you know maybe had the most um the best backstories or you know yeah, I mean, watching yeah. you know some of the masters work you know I think you know I there's three that really stick out to me so I was a trainee on X-Men too and uh, kind of walking into um I would just compare it to you you were joining the World Series championship team. There was a confidence level on that set amongst the cast and crew that they were making a massive hit movie because, again, comic book movies weren't big then, and X-Men was really kind of the... kind of kick-started a lot of it. Yeah. And, and so when X-Men was a big hit, um, X2 was kind of the... They were given a little bit carte blanche to to go out and make a, a a really good superhero movie, and and that was that was apparent, and and the confidence level was high, and uh, I mean the cast. Uh, there's so many stories in the 110 days of shooting that I experienced. 110 yes. days, wow! And you're with, I mean, a couple of sirs. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. I, it was it was quite a fantastic experience, yeah. and. And they just embraced Vancouver. And uh, I mean, Sir Ian McKellen lived across the Broad Bridge, this amazing penthouse. And he would invite over the the, the cast and, and some of the crew for Sunday morning brunches where he would be making waffles and mimosas. And I just remember I was maybe 24 just going, I'm living the dream. Like, yeah. this is amazing. This is so much fun. And all these people are are so fascinating and exciting and lovely and talented. And so it was just such a uh, inspiration to be on that. And I have nothing uh, bad to say about any of the cast members. I mean, they were just terrific You knew in the moment that you were part of something Yeah, special. you knew you were a part of something special. Can for I ask sure. kind of controversial question? Mm -hmm. Could be p potentially controversial. Um, and I have my own feelings about it. Mm -hmm. um, favorite X-Men? I mean, I because he's Canadian, I yeah. always like Wolverine. Yeah. However, um, I loved Nightcrawler, and then oh, I, yeah. I create, you know, ended up with a, a fairly nice friendship with Alan Cumming, who's just a, a dream human being. Uh, so that just seeing him as the character, and then him off camera is just a, a delight. Oh, um, so maybe maybe I'll just say Nightcrawler for the win. Okay. Ooh, for the win. For the win, maybe. You yeah. didn't know what kind of question I was going to ask with all that. I know. I wasn't lead up. sure. I know. And you should. I'm sorry, but your body language is like. There's some I, places you can go 
with. I uh, know, but yeah. I also because you haven't listened to a lot of the podcasts. I'm yeah. not that kind of podcast. Yes, yes. But I'll ask you all those questions after I yes, get, you very know, good. We stop recording. Yeah. Um, okay, so you said you have three. Okay, yeah, so what's I'll the try other? and make what's the other others one? a little quicker. But uh, Juno, I was a second AD on Juno. Juno, and that very was, different kind of film, too. right? Yeah, <laughs> and I just. You know, I'm the same, well, maybe Jason Reitman's a year older than me, uh, but the DP was, so I think we were all 28, 29 when we were making it, and it was this low budget, you know, or smaller budget film with all these talented people. And then, yeah. you know, if anyone like would ask the PA, they would go, oh, it's uh, it's about a pregnant teenager. And of course, everyone just thought, oh, you're making a Lifetime movie or something. Mm. Um, but the script was like, Phenomenal! Like you just read it and went, "Oh my God, this is amazing!" Yeah. And then the cast, and again, Jason was coming off of uh, "Thank You for Smoking," which was just I loved it as a film. Yeah. And again, same thing. Walked on, just this quiet confidence of we're making a really good movie. Yeah. It's just nobody knew it yet. Um, and so that was such a fantastic experience. Wow, and very different from X2, you know, where they're like, we're making a hit and it's I, great. And it's like, no, we're making a hit, but it's kind of like our secret. Yeah, right and it just shows. It's like, no matter what budget level, you can still make something brilliant and have fun doing it. So yeah. those are two ends of the spectrum that ended up being embraced by the public around the world. Yeah. And the third. Uh, this one just because it was going back to film school for me. I, I went and did Interstellar as a second AD um, in Alberta. So it was about 22 days of shooting. And I was kind of starting to be a first AD. So it, to an extent, it was a step back to accept it. But I was like, it's Christopher Nolan. Uh, he's a master. Yeah. I want to go experience this. And yeah. so that just was, again, like... It was a master class in, in film directing. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting because you said, oh, it's like a step back in this. And I've noticed, though, like, you know, even on a show like The Good Doctor, you direct episodes and then you also are a first AD there as well. Like, is it is it really like a step back or is it just more like, OK, I, I have a different skill thing that I need to do right now? Or how do you think think about all of the jumping around you do. It's, I mean, it, it's it's always a progression. I just yeah. look at it every step. And, and uh, I think when I hit 27 and hadn't made Citizen Kane yet, like yeah. Orson Welles or Jaws like Spielberg, uh, I remember my 27th birthday felt a little bit of a letdown. I, all my heroes had done uh, amazing things by then. But mm. I, I just stepped back. I think when I hit 30 and just said, and I remember my dad telling me this is like just enjoy the journey you know the destination isn't as good as you think it is you'll you'll look back and it's the journey that mattered and that really stuck with me and and so i just sort of embraced all the experiences and stopped being in a rush and to be honest by doing that i felt i succeeded more yeah. um and opportunity sort of just started to present itself yeah um i i was also well, listening to you, because I'm a parent, though, I can multitask. And I was thinking about my accountant father saying, he'll say this in a, he, he puts on a thick Indian accent. He's Indian, but he has to put it on. He's like, life has no meaning. It is the meaning that you give to life. And then I'm supposed to be like, yay, you're so smart and wise. But I'm like, oh, my God, you've been saying that forever. But it's yeah, true. It is. It's so true. It is. Um, I am, I am really 
I love, there, there are certain things that I'm obsessed with in, mm-hmm. in trying to figure out how this business works. One is what goes on in a voice booth. Another is what goes on in a writer's room. And a third is what goes on in a director's brain. So maybe you can bring us into your brain a little bit and tell me about some of the, the skills, the mindset, the, that, that, whatever, the characteristics that are required to succeed. And let's talk specifically about television mm-hmm. and about directing television. Okay. What kind of skills are required? Uh, making decisions and making them quickly and efficiently, yeah. um, I think is the biggest thing. You you don't have the same luxury you do in a feature film, although feature films are getting tighter and tighter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's it. You know, uh, a lot of times you have seven days to prep and you have seven, eight or nine days to shoot, depending on on the show you're on. Luckily on Good Doctor, it's a nine day shoot, which is a real luxury. Um, you get the script, you break it down. I just I read it for pure entertainment at first, uh, but I, I do sort of make notes along the way. I call them signature scenes, too. Hmm. I, I find I go through and I'm like, oh, star that one. There's something special that can be done here whether it's music, whether it's the blocking, whether it's a camera move that as you're reading, you already sort of picture it. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, ultimately you get thrust into uh, departmental meetings really, really quick. Yeah. Uh, and you're basically having to make uh, decisions uh, on the fly uh, because no one can really do their job until you're making a decision. Yeah, and that's I'm, I'm imagining yeah. a Zoom room and everybody's looking at you and you're like, okay, I'm giving an answer now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and the brilliant thing, I, I what I really enjoy about TV is it is quite the writer's medium. Mm. Um, it's it's a TV show's run by the showrunner. Uh, and typically the writers of the episode also produce that episode. So you're really a team. Uh, and so I, that's what I really enjoy is you form that uh, that that friendship and that uh, that team very early on. Yeah. So I usually reach out to the writer right away, um, and we're quickly into casting because you you, you got to get your guest cast uh, figured out within seven days. Especially for a show like The Good Doctor, that's so important. It, that it, guest cast. It yeah. really is. It's and to be honest, the the first. The, the first time I was given an episode to direct, I did have to interview with ABC. And uh, they did actually say, and, and, and this has always stuck with me, and I've told other directors, they, they go, we're not worried about our cast. They know their roles. They're going to be great. Uh, our show is made and broken based on the guest performance. Hmm. Because every week you're meeting probably two new patients, two new stories. Yeah. And in the end... Are, are they are they gonna resonate with the audience? Will they shed a tear for this person? And 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 that comes through in the the writing, uh, obviously. Uh, the directing has a hand in that, but ultimately comes down to is that performer uh, talented and engaging? Yeah. I mean, it's been wonderful to see so many um, Vancouver actors as well, you know, yeah. shy. I mean, look, like I would like to like put put like take a moment to say or to, to remind ourselves of the fact that the number one TV drama series in the world is filmed here in Vancouver. That's incredible, which means that we end up having, you know, our, our the guest cast 
lot of Vancouver actors get to be seen around the world, you know, and that's that's a wonderful opportunity for them. It, it really is. And, and so that's something uh, uh, I've been really proud of when when directing is you do have a casting concept meeting uh, before you really actually even started as soon as you get a studio draft producers the director get on with with casting yeah. and uh, and you kind of just discuss who might be good or or what sort of actor you may be looking for mm-hmm. so that that's what's put out to all the agencies and then the actors self-tape and Boy, I hope we get back to in the room though. Um, Self taping is one thing, but uh, in the room is 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 so much better. So you, as somebody who watches the tapes and stuff directly, you're not a fan of the self tapes, then? I, you know, it, I, it's it's good for one thing. It, I think it uh, it broadens uh, the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think uh, more people can read, and so you're uh, for actors that may not have been given the opportunity in the room. Um, they're now getting the opportunity through the tape. Yeah. That being said, there's there's no chance to have a conversation, get a read on a person, and even ask them for a re- you know give them a redirection. It might not even be right, but just see how they do it differently. Yeah. And 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 so you're missing that. And often, I you know I would encourage uh, you know, and it's not my call, but I would encourage casting directors to actually put in two uh, versions of a performance because often the conversation becomes, well, they played that a little too harsh. Well, if there was a second version, they they might have given the lighter uh, one. So I I do think that is uh, um, definitely, uh, you know, a detriment with the Mm. self-tape. So pros and cons to everything. But uh, uh, I I have actually uh, called actors and had them retape with a note when I believed in them, Ooh. but maybe didn't have consensus. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and Vancouver actors are always considered I on our show. I love that you looked at the wall. I know, I looked at well. the wall. Well, because a couple of them are there, and yeah. two of like my proudest moments where I stepped out and I went, oh man, should I be doing this? But uh, two absolutely talented actors um, that I love and admire, uh, Ben Ayers. Yeah. And Richard Harmon, mm. I read the script and went, they would be perfect. And so yeah. I remember calling Sean Cossey, who is our local casting director, and mentioning both. And to be honest, they both got the guest stars without having to audition. Um, but they're both amazing actors and they have great reels. Am I hearing a fire alarm or something? There might be a there fire alarm. There might be. Warning. So listeners, there might be a fire alarm, but I don't know. It doesn't seem very, I was, it was barely registering on the, on my headphones, but you know, we might have to run out of here shortly, but you know, well, well, I think we'll find out. It stopped. Okay. It stopped. It did. It kind of, I guess we're it did. close to a window. Sabrina, yeah. if we have to go. <laughs> if we have to go. <laughs> we're fine. We're fine. This is a safe building for sure. Is there, in your experience, is there such a thing as an undirectable actor, you know, uh, how do you deal no, with no comment? No, no. Comment. well, how, uh, how no, do you deal no. with actors who who won't take your direction or you know? That, talk to me because you said that one of the things that you have to do is communicate. Yeah, you know, talk to me about communicating with uh, with actors. I, I would say 99 percent of actors. Um, you know, uh, work well and collaborate with 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 directors. Yeah, I think if you're if you're giving smart notes and and you're meeting them somewhere in the middle, I what I always say is like 
they've come with a version of the character. Mm -hmm. So I think it's always worth seeing what that is. And then if it's not quite working, and in this case with TV, you know, if the writer's like, well, I, when we wrote this, it was supposed to be a different way. You know, we go in and we try and meet in the middle and, and, and try and find it. But I, I firmly believe in that, you know, you cast an actor and they're 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 bringing something unique to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, like I, there there is a 1% out there that um, their creative process is through um, maybe a little bit of battle. Um, mm. and, and so uh, that's always an interesting one. Yeah. Um, because I don't necessarily battle back. I, yeah. I but I what I we just try and find common ground somewhere. And I, I figure if you just talk it out, um, you, you'll find it. And and to be honest, if if someone maybe doesn't hundred percent agree with a note, I find in like take three, they've somehow incorporated it maybe subconsciously. Um, and and it and there's something there. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what I always watch for. Um, so some some may resist it at first, mm-hmm. but then whether they're in the in the scene and and it, it stuck with them in some way, and 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 it might just be uber subtle, but that's that's what we're looking for ultimately. You don't want to hit it over the head, right? Yeah. Um, but I, again, like our cast on our show, I say it a hundred percent of the time. Like we're in the going into the seventh season, Incredible. they all love to be directed. Yeah. They, they're all open to it. They don't go, no, my character wouldn't do that. They're not those people. Um, they're, they're really open to... Uh, Can you believe to... that I'm the host of the show and my phone literally oh, just boy. made a, I know, it's terrible, <laughs> terrible. I'm so sorry. But they're, they're always open to notes and trying things different, which is, you know, says a lot about them as performers and, and our show, um, that they're still interested in doing good work. Okay, I, I do want to... To move on shortly to talk about the indie work too, because I sure. really, I, I really want to pour one out for Leap for Your Life because it's one of my favorite things I've ever watched. Um, but I do want to talk a bit more about the Good Doctor. Why do you think it is the number one TV drama series in the world? I'm sure there are people in all sorts of boardrooms everywhere being like, "We got to get some of this. How do we get some of this for us?" You know. What is it? What's in the secret sauce? Uh, you know, I you know, it's in the writing and in the casting. I think uh, they they found Freddie Highmore. Mm-hmm. I, I remember when we were uh, making our first couple episodes that hadn't aired yet. You knew he was brilliant, and yeah. you knew this character was amazing. But you were like, our audience is going to identify and want to watch this person. Yeah, and are they going to get it? Right, and and they did, and Freddie's just—it was a real testament to his ability. But uh, uh, he—he's such a unique character, uh, and oh, and I think our show's unabashedly a positive show for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, oh gosh, I, it's yeah, it's not like just watching one trauma after the other. It doesn't. We're yeah. not going out to try and be dark or anything like that. I think if anything, we're trying to portray various stories. Uh, diversity around the world, uh, someone you know on the spectrum um, that can succeed and yeah. and ultimately help people and and I think people love to watch drama, 
and they also like to be happy in the end and i would say 85 percent of our show has a happy ending because mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. he's a good doctor he's not an average doctor so most people they're in gonna, the title exactly Stare most title. are gonna survive yeah. spoiler alert i like that you put it you put it in there just like you you know just like with uh gretzky saving christmas it was right there in the title it, it was yeah absolutely the f- the fact that it's the number one show in the world how does that impact you know how does that impact the work that you're doing like are you all looking at each other and being like we're the number one show in the world like is this is like does this decision that we're making match you know that title like how like is it, how, how has that fact impacted it, it doesn't really besides that we you know obviously uh get enough time to shoot we have a nice budget um we have a ton of stage spaces and so mm. it's like being a director on the show is like a kid in the candy store we have yeah. seven stages at bridge studios seven and yeah and it's wow. like and we blew holes in the walls of three of them so that you have this 300 foot corridor for walk and talks i mean it's it's quite a uh, any wow. director who comes on just goes this isn't normal for TV. So it, we, but we live in this little insular world where we just show up every day and they're kind of making the show and we're all just, I, I call us, we're a dysfunctional family because we all have our own quirks and, and stuff like that. You but mean you're a family? We're a family. I think every yes, family yes. is dysfunctional because, yes. you know, we're all, yeah, quirks is a, bit a nice of an oxymoron. way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, we just show up and kind of do the work and have a lot of fun. And, and the thing is, I, I said it about the cast, but it's true to the crew too. Everyone still cares. Mm. Everyone still gives a shit like yeah. no one's just there collecting a paycheck yeah uh which kind of makes it inspiring and again that does start uh with david shore and liz freeman our showrunners mm-hmm. and then freddie as our our lead actor and it just kind of trickles down to everyone that you know when they care you can't help but care yeah. and so you don't actually the only time i actually think about it is when i watch it on abc and then you see it on the other streaming and then you see it on twitter and you're like oh wow like a lot of people are watching this yeah. Yeah. People watch the show. Yeah. Do you have um, a favorite uh, episode, a favorite storyline, a favorite character? Uh, well, I a mean, favorite I, disease that showed up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I'll you know, I'm gonna be biased, but I I think uh, we did an episode in season four that I was fortunate enough to direct. Uh, it was a very unique episode because it, it wasn't normal to our our kind of two storylines. And you in two sets of doctors working. It was it was about a and it was political too. So mm. um, it was uh, two children are 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 shot at a political protest, and the mothers meet in a waiting room, and so it kind of becomes like this three woman play wow. uh, between one of our leads that's kind of stuck in the middle between these two that are obviously left and obviously right, but we never actually you you don't know who's who. You can make your assumptions. Um, but in the end, it was really about their disagreements and, and how in the end their child's, you know, health made them overcome their differences. Mm. And, uh, it was just, my God, it was such an emotional episode. Like every scene was kind of emotional and like, and of course the boys that were shot were the exact same age as my boys too. So it was like very, (sighs) like, as you seeing a boy rolled in with six gunshot wounds, um, and, and there's the kid just smiling at you until you call action and then they, their eyes are closed. And it was just, it was heavy. Every time I was leaving for lunch or rap, 
uh, Sean Williamson, who's the local producer, on would be like, oh, yes. yes, and I've been with Sean a long time. He's very supportive, so giving him a shout out. Um, but he would go, you you look exhausted. And I'm like, I am mentally and physically. It was such a tough episode. And so I think in the end, it's the one I'm most proud of because mm. um, it, it was tough. It was unique. Uh, and it said something. Yeah. Like, I, I think it had a message. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, one last question. Okay. Then. Um, what do you think that a fan of the show would be surprised to know about how the show is made? Uh, yeah, pull good back question. The, pull I don't back know. The uh, what would they be? Well, that we don't shoot in a real hospital. Yeah. Uh, the amount of people that ask, where do you shoot that? What hospital are you at? And it's like, well, if you've ever tried to shoot in a real hospital, it's it's not easy. And yeah. I, I wouldn't, yeah. So you, you wouldn't be able to set the TV show in a real hospital. Because um, it looks legit. Like it, all the equipment, all the... The yeah. frazzled looking people, you know, the people walking with purpose, the posters, the equipment, like everything looks because I've spent a lot of time in hospitals the last few years and it looks pretty legit. It's pretty legit. It's uh, we we have uh, medical personnel involved in the show, both in L.A. in the writer's room and and here in Vancouver to help us on set. And so they're vital to our success. Yeah. And we try and get everything right. We do. And and there are you you'll see the people that I do have a friend who. Uh, uh, works in healthcare who occasionally uh, message me and go, that wasn't very re realistic. And I always say, you know, we we try and get it right up to the point it affects the drama. Mm -hmm. And the moment it takes any wind out of the sails of the drama, we always err towards the dramatic because in the end, that's what people are tuning in for. Yeah. Not necessarily the accuracy, but, you know, the emotional impact. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Leap for your life. Yes. No, literally leap for your life. Right now, Gary, because the fire is coming. Yes, exactly. Um, where can we watch it? Is it possible to watch Leap for Your Life anywhere? It is. It's had this... It's a weird journey, this film. Yeah, I mean, it really is from the start. It was like this little engine that could... It, You know, Taylor and Barbara Hill. So Taylor, uh, talented writer, uh, actress... Uh, she, she's just amazing and producer uh, her and her mom uh, came up with this concept because she, her mom was a dance mom Taylor was a dancer yeah and saw some of the absurdities of what happens behind the scenes and uh, wrote this hilarious little script that was supposed to be a web series at first hmm. we went into it but after day two of shooting we all stopped and I might have been Peter Benson or Nicole Oliver one of those two I think said you know you have something here yeah and we kind of stopped because we were just weekend shooting and we took a look at it and went how do we change this to become a feature mm -hmm. sorry i just hit the mic you did and uh you're leaping for your life talking about it and so i i hand gestures all over the place i can't yeah. help it <laughs> me too so uh that's why i keep them strapped back like okay, this okay right? that's the body language because <laughs> they just body. otherwise they just fly all over the place <laughs> Um, and so we, uh, you Taylor uh, went, okay, let's do this. And uh, she went back to the drawing board and, and again, 80% of the concept was there. And then she kind of restructured it to be this mockumentary feature. Yeah. And so we shot half of it 
and then six months later came back and finished the rest. Really? Yeah, yeah. So and and again, all the actors came back, and we were able to create some new parts. So it was this blessing in disguise because yeah. we started to edit what we had, and so we knew where to fill in pieces and add additional storylines yeah. and do pickups, and so it the lack of budget and and schedule and time actually we 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 use that as you know uh kind of a positive and yeah yeah um and the film ended up it premiered at the vancouver international film festival and it won uh won a big award right it did yeah i think it was that uh must see yeah, uh hashtag it, must see bc award yes yeah. and i think that's when i first met you that's was right. was yeah. at the uh at vif and uh there was just a lot of buzz about it um I, you know and and you certainly helped with the buzz too i love how you promote um, all the local talent here in Vancouver. It's like uh, you should well, be applauded a, for that. It's an honor to do so, but especially with that one, like it, it was a great example of like, you think you know what BC film is or Canadian film, but it's not that. It's actually could be this, you know? And I'm proud to, like, cause it was like, it was, it's an awesome mockumentary. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And it was like, it, it, we just embraced the lack of budget because yeah. we kind of went, well, it's a local dance community. So if we can only get 40 extras out, that's kind of the joke is, yeah. 40 parents are the it's not like you would fill a 700 seat theater well actually some dance competitions you would yeah. uh they do take it pretty seriously but we just kind of were like and then the shooting style of a mockumentary you don't have to do traditional coverage because yeah. you're shooting it like it's a documentary so if something was a little bit out of focus or not framed properly it was like brilliant that was perfect yeah but you had but, great but you have that and you have great writing and you have great actors you know it was it, it really was it was like as a testament to barbara uh and taylor um and, and then also the local community because the word just got out and it was like and peter and julia benson and april Tellick and nicole like and Anne marie deloise they just they started reaching out to our friends so before you know it john cassini was playing taylor's father yeah. um and you know gary chalk came out and played uh uh peter benson's dad and uh it was just all of a sudden we just had this like all-star cast of local talent yeah. um, that and again they were a lot of times just coming in for a day or two and having fun and I know it was asked at the premiere and it was like was it all um, improv and it was like no it, like and I think most of the actors would agree it was like it was 80 to 90 percent on the page but we always did improv takes yeah. and everyone was open to improv it wasn't like hey you have to stay true to the script it was a guideline but there were so many really good jokes written by taylor mm -hmm. um that paid off but then when you when you have some of these uh you know really good improv artists and i will say peter benson is uh um is a fantastic improv artist yeah. uh, i don't think anyone quite gives him credit uh for it but some of the stuff he did um was phenomenal yeah no, it it is a it's a phenomenal film, and I know a few years ago I was getting frustrated because I was talking about the film to somebody. I'm like, okay, well, let me find it for you, and I'll just send you. And I couldn't find it. Well, I think so. It is playing somewhere. So if you go on IMDb now, yeah, I think there's usually a link now that IMDb has that wherever you can find the film, and I think it's on Stars. Okay. Or um, so it bounced around like Sean Williamson again. Um. Uh, heard about the film and asked to see it and then he goes I can get this um, a distribution deal 
And so he did. And we were able to get picked up and, and it's played on uh, on a few different television That's channels. So, excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Because uh, there was that moment where I was like, I, and I just, and then I, I remember like I was just tweeting into the void. This might've been like 2017. It was like, I'm so tired of watching these incredible, you know, locally shot indie films and loving them. And then I can't find them anywhere. You know, like yeah. we need to find a way to, you know, as, and that's not about the productions. That's about like Canada you know and just embracing our own and you know and you know giving life to these a longer life you know to these projects yeah i think so it played stars i think it was on a, a channel called hollywood suite uh it was on oh, super yeah. channel and i think it even played on an airline I, every once in a while like a high school friend will send me a snapshot of look what i'm watching oh, so, fantastic. so it, it it it's still out there somewhere okay well and you know what i will i will do my due diligence and i will uh seek out various ways to watch it and i'll pop those into the footnotes for Fantastic. this episode what were some of the lessons that you learned about indie filmmaking uh making the feature uh well i i, I can say i was somewhat of a veteran at the point of indie yeah. film because i had made about four or five short films yeah. to that point where Again, it was all my money that I made as a third AD going into um, creating these projects and, and just, again, uh, networking and meeting people. And like Ed Brando at William F. White's, Ugh. who's a local legend and hero, uh, he is, would constantly truly. give me free gear. Uh, in fact, he was like, Gary, you have free gear for life, which I still, I just, every time I see him, I thank him for just being free so supportive. Free gear for life from Ed Brando. Wow. I know, right? But, uh, <laughs> you know, luckily I work on a show that actually pays for it. So yeah. that's, that's good. So he's a smart businessman, I think. Uh, it, it's worked its way around. Yeah. So hopefully I can be paying him for stuff. Yeah. What, what was your what was your idea of success at the beginning of your career? And how is that idea of what it means to be successful in the industry? How has that changed over time? Hmm, that, that's a good question that I haven't actually thought of, but subconsciously, I guess I have. Uh, you know, I think um, everyone's idea of success when they first go into the industry that uh, uh, that you're making projects that you want. Mm -hmm. that you're known and respected for them and that you're making a good living. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately those can change. Um, I think in the end of just, like I said, to go back to my dad, I've kind of just really enjoyed the journey and the friendships I've made along the way yeah. and have been proud of the projects that I've done and that I still actually enjoy doing it. That's mm -hmm. the big thing is, is this industry can wear you out and some people get very jaded by it but man i mean we're in the middle of a writer's strike right now and uh although it's beautiful weather i've been off a few months and i kind of miss i miss the people and i miss yeah. heading to set and and creating with people and that's the thing is that's what's great about film and tv it's like it's a collaborative art form it's it's not painting it's it's not uh, writing a novel. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. it, it you're with a group of of really talented individuals, all throwing great ideas together, yeah. uh, and and working to to complement uh, one another. And 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 so there's so many things that could go wrong. So it's always fun when you see it just totally work. And I think we've all experienced that when it's just everyone, there's a synergy and everything's just really clicking. And you're yeah. like, this is awesome. And there's there's no greater high. 
Uh, I, I did a little bit of theater in high school and stuff. I remember that instant high you would get from performing. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, I guess the dopamine uh levels that go up and you're just like wow you're on top of the world i find when you're really making a good episode of television or on leap for your life where no one was making any money but we were laughing daily yeah. and just going this is something unique and special uh that is ultimately what i seek yeah yeah we are getting to the end of our time together today yeah. Gary uh, before I let you go when she ans answer one more question I'm holding you hostage All until right. you answer the question um, I'm sure that there are people listening today who want to be you want to do the kind of work that you're doing work with the kind work on the kind of projects feel the way that you that you've just described feeling which is honestly that is the most incredible feeling you know to be fully engaged and very present and doing work that stimulates you i get it i feel it when i sit at this table i understand what you mean what kind of of advice do you have for those people who want to be you Oh, wow. Um, just keep at it. Be passionate about it. Don't give up. It's There's no such thing as an overnight success. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a passion for storytelling, do it. Don't be afraid. Don't come up with excuses. Why? Because making your first short film, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. It's going to be scary. Uh, you're going to get to a point where you're like, why am I doing this? Oh my God, everything's going to go wrong. It happens every single time. Mm -hmm. But you, you'll you come up with every excuse not to do it and you will procrastinate. But if you truly want to be a filmmaker, you want to be a storyteller, you have to go out and do it. No one's just going to offer you the opportunity. No one just goes, hey, do you want to direct this? Yeah. You have to prove that you love it, you have a passion for it, and that you have a talent for it. Mm -hmm. And you only get to do it and get better at it by doing it. So don't be afraid to do that. Push yourself. It's, it's like someone going to the gym. You have every reason not to go to the gym. Uh, and no one really enjoys it. These people that say they do enjoy it. No, no, they don't really. It's the worst place. It is the worst experience. <laughs> no, but but if if you really want to see progress, you have to put in the work. Mm -hmm. And, and so I attribute that to filmmaking. In this case, I like going to the gym. I've yeah. always enjoyed it. There are moments that it stressed me out mm -hmm. and I thought I was going to fail and it wasn't worth worth the headache, but I always saw it through and man, was I so happy I did. And it yeah. was such a rewarding experience. And so I tell that to every person that wants to direct an episode of television. Um, they're not, again, they're just not going to hand it to you. You got to go out and show that that you want to be a filmmaker. Yeah. And so that's that's... That's my biggest piece of advice. That's wonderful advice. And also don't skip leg day. Do not skip leg day. Exactly. <laughs> Gary, are you on the social media? I am. I am. I have uh, Instagram. I'm True Fiction Films. Okay. At True Fiction Films. That's been since high school and I stuck with it. True Fiction. I get it. Right? I understand that reference. There you go. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you for having me. And listeners. Thank you for being with us today. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners and we can keep having conversations like the rad one we just had with Gary Haas. 
The White Bear Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Rani Mera Furminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger Dudley for the original music, but Dane, as I've been saying all season, you are a Furminger to me. White Bear Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! Hi friends, Kat Lawhequist here, and I'm excited to introduce you to thedramaclass.com. Thedramaclass.com provides online workshops and classes designed to provide inspiration and instruction in the sometimes overlooked areas you need to be successful in your acting career. Things that they don't often cover in studio classes. Things like tax prep for actors, the power of costume and getting a job, what to do if you primarily work on camera and find yourself with a voiceover audition, what you can do to adjust your performance to the camera lenses being used, and so much more. Maximize your opportunities by filling in the gaps that will make your craft your career. Visit us at thedramaclass.com, sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social, and explore what will take you to the next level.